welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. So today we're talking about change. Change, change, change. Every day you wake up to a new world here in upstate New York. What happened? What happened in the last day or two? Wow, that maple totally changed from green to brownish red. Wow, the leaves completely got ripped off that locust tree from that last windstorm. So I bike around and I observe the scenes, see the different trees, and man, there have been a few noteworthy trees this year. I was over in Stewart Park, the park over near the lake, and there was a ginkgo tree. And if you could picture a ginkgo tree, ginkgo is quite distinct because just the shape of its branches is quite different than most other trees. Branches kind of go up more than out, and then they kind of vase out. I guess sort of like an elm tree, but if you compare it with an elm, an elm's branches twist and turn, where these ginkgos seem to go rather straight. Anyway, if you get to see a ginkgo that's sort of standing alone in the fall, often the branches just have this wonderful shape to them, and they're very clear to see, and the leaves turn the brightest yellow. Now, I've seen a whole stand of ginkgo trees planted in a park. Yesterday, I just saw this one tree, and it was against just browns and greens. So this yellow just, boom, really popped. I'll try to snag a picture and, and pop it on the, uh, on the website sometime soon. I also saw some really beautiful colors on some red oaks. Red oaks sometimes can just kind of melt this brown, this brown and red sort of almost muddy mixtured color on the leaves is quite something. And I bike around and take the landscape as a whole. I try to look to the hills surrounding the lake and see when they change during the year and how they change. Like this year was a very unusual year for maples. Maples are often still retaining their leaves, but they never really turned into bright yellows and reds up here. The maples I've seen have often turned, just retained their green quite late, probably because it's been a mild and wet fall, and now they're just getting this yellow mixed in with the green. So there's so much to study, there's so much to observe when there's so much happening. And right now, in terms of the autumn, there is so much happening. And there's trees, we're lucky, we have trees all around us. So it's a great time of the year to appreciate trees. It's also a great time to appreciate fall swimming. I got to go downstate this past weekend and with the help of my wetsuit, I went for a a few wonderful fall swims. And there was this one where I went down on Saturday afternoon with my brother. And it was one of those... Northeast fall days, just dry and crisp, and the air is warm enough, and the clouds are kind of this wispiness to them, this high-pressure clouds, not the big cumulus clouds, not storm clouds, but little wisps, and they seem to appear more and more as the afternoon goes on, so that by sunset, you have just an array of small sets of clouds all across the sky reflecting all this light. I, at the beach, there was two sets of clouds that were crisscrossed, moving in like like lines, like these little lines in two different directions. And I'm there laying on my back, floating on the ocean, looking up at this, these clouds and this sky. And 
Whew, it's easy to it's easy to feel grounded and inspired in those type of situations. That's the combination I think a lot about these days. Grounded and inspired. And if there's a season for tapping into that grounded and inspired, I think it's the fall. Just something about the way it moves us. Change, 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 change. When you think of change, you think of everything is change. You think about Heraclitus, the great philosopher who said, you could never step in the same river twice. Meaning that river, like all of life, is always changing. And our little step, that's part of that change. Heraclitus was known as the weeping philosopher because he was kind of depressive and his theory of everything has changed seems maybe evident to many of us but there was a debate going on in 500 bc and a rival philosopher parmenides was promoting the theory that essentially nothing changes so this notion of change and what is change and is change really occurring or is everything mostly staying the same this was a big debate in 500 BC. Perhaps it, it's a debate now, but for me, change is... Everywhere you look, there's change. And that's why when I think of change, sometimes I wonder, do we, when do we make change in our own life? I often congratulate people when they quit a job or make a change or decide, I'm going to move or I'm going to make a change. Usually this is a really good thing. But in some parts of society, we see changes occurring too frequently. And no doubt, this lack of judgment is often inspired by a media-driven society. Change sells, drama sells. I'm thinking about sports right now. I'm thinking about how the Mets, they finished the season pretty strong. Their manager wasn't great, but they have some momentum going. Why disrupt a team with some momentum going? Why would you tamper with the manager? But they fire the manager after two years. Again, when we create change, we don't know what's going to happen. Every change has its, has its multitude effects, even the smallest changes. So if you look at the world as this, I kind of almost think it, I almost see all of life moving like water. And that's why it's nice to sit by rivers and sit by the ocean and be in the waves. And watch the ripples, even watch the water moving around on my desk through the glass jar. Because everything is moving like water. I'm a big fan of Heraclitus in this sense. I see change everywhere. But I also want us to think about the change we affect and what changes are worth making because changes are inherently disruptive. I think a lot about change lately when I think about all these uprising revolutions that are occurring. People talking about radical change now. And I, I understand the impulse and certainly I've felt that impulse. But I also, as I've grown older, have become a little bit more of a reformist, realizing that radical change is so disruptive and Again, many, many different effects in many different directions.
Let's go back to the beach. So I'm floating on the water. And when you're floating on the water and looking up to the sky and these clouds and the shifting light at sunset, it's fall, it's the end of the day, it's the end of the end of the year, sunset and fall. Isn't sunset like the fall of the day? Isn't fall like the sunset of the year? So I'm out there on the on the ocean and I'm floating and, and the waves are moving you gently up and down. It's like the world is rocking you, like you're the little baby being gently rocked by the world. It's one of the sweetest places to be. I'm enjoying myself and then it's time to head into the beach and I'm sitting on the shore and I'm talking with my brother and we're observing how on this beach, this beach got slammed by Superstorm Sandy in 2012 and this beach has very vulnerable to the winter storms over the years and often gets eroded 20 or 30 yards in a season. We've seen this beach move and then be redredged you know, kind of rebuilt through adding sand back to the beach. We've seen this happen many times throughout our life. So finally, after Superstorm Sandy, New York State and a lot of the East Coast gets huge government grants to build jetties to fortify the beaches. Now, if you think from like a nature-based, a more Taoist perspective, just like the river is meandering, the ocean, where the ocean meets the land, this also is meandering. This is very much part of a changing landscape. When you stand on the shore of the beach, this can be, this could be underwater at, at, at different moon cycles and land, but this also can be land, this can be sea, depending on the seasons, depending on the years. This is the, where the sea meets the land. This is the ever-changing landscape, the ever-changing edge of a continent or an island or a landmass. So these guys, these guys meaning the politicos, they got a lot of money to build some, build some jetties, probably with the Army Corps of Engineers. And they built a few jetties here. So the jetties basically stabilize the beach. A jetty, in case you don't know, big, big rocks. A line of them probably, you know, 40 or 50 yards long, perpendicular to the shore. It stabilizes the beach. It prevents the side-to-side -side erosion that happens during major storms. So they built these jetties now have stabilized the beach, which is a huge victory. But what happened, and here we go, you change and you have unexpected effects. It's really clustering a lot of seaweed. You know, some plants and small organisms, just a lot of floating natural sea life, which ecologically might be wonderful but is less pleasant for swimming it's just a lot of seaweed on the shore it's very possible that in this summertime this beach is less popular now because of the seaweed so i bring this up just as a reminder that we make changes for the better and they often have other effects that are worth considering few more notes on trees. If you like studying trees, I think fall is a great time to study, to begin studying or improve your study of trees because it's very, it's very easy to differentiate trees when they're not all green. And you get a lot of hints and you can see clusters of familiar trees or similar trees 
by their color. So it's a great time to really appreciate all the different species of trees. And if you kind of get into it year to year, you, you start to see how different weather patterns might have affected the fall. Oh, this is a really wet fall and a really warm fall. So this is what we see. Other years might be really dry. Yes, you have early fall in terms of temperature, but you also have in late fall, but you also have moisture. So those are your two big variables when you're thinking of fall and how it might be affecting the landscape. So when I was reading about Heraclitus and they call him the weeping philosopher, they, that was in contrast to Democritus who was called a laughing philosopher. So I definitely am planning an episode on the weeping philosopher, the laughing philosopher. A few other notes, if you get a chance, you might want to review episode, I think it was three from last year, the Day of the Dead. This was a, a really nice Halloween, Day of the Dead, All Souls Day, All Saints Day themed episode. And that's about episode three from last year, Day of the Dead, talking about the ritual and especially rituals, especially rituals surrounding death, rituals surrounding discussions that we don't have enough. Um, I think Day of the Dead is one of the most important rituals and is worth further exploration and perhaps expansion. It's interesting as we've let some rituals go, notably religious rituals in their strength and their power in our lives, what rituals will take their place? And I, I argue that there's benefit to picking up rituals from other traditions. We live in a multicultural society, and I think sharing and learning beneficial traditions and incorporating them into our own lives is natural. It's part of human history. It's part of human evolution, and I encourage us to continue. Day of the Dead is a beautiful, beautiful tradition. I digress. Well, I wish you a happy fall times. I wish you a happy season of change. Change, change, change. Let's think about the river of change and how our stepping in that river affects that change and how that river is changing either way. Heraclitus, the weeping philosopher, 500 BC from present day Turkey, Ephesus. Thanks for the knowledge and the wisdom. Trying to keep, keep that great chain of wisdom moving. Keep stoking those great chain, that great fire. I'm going to stop now. All right, live and learn and have a good week. Keep hydrated, keep exercising. Bye-bye.